0: Welcome to Sightseeing Japan, the podcast where we explore the land of Nihongo. I'm Paul Bresson.
1: And I'm Jason Neeling. And today our topic is Nihongo, which is Japanese for Japanese, the Japanese language. Because Nihon is Japan and Go is the language. Makes sense. Yep. So to start us off today, I just have some uh, general fun facts about the language. If you want to hear those. I like fun facts. I hope they're fun. That's what I was going for, but we'll see. So Japanese is the ninth most spoken language in the world, which I found surprising because Japan has less than 2% of
0: the world's population living there. I think there's a couple things to do with that. I see how that's surprising though when you look at that numbers. Yeah. So I saw there's uh, about 128 million people that speak Japanese. Okay. And they almost all live in Japan. Yeah. But there are some communities, Brazil and the U.S. Yep. and in China and Korea, I believe. They're all communities of Japanese. Yeah.
1: And there are a lot of people all over the world just that are interested in Japanese and learn it just for fun. That, yeah. I mean, not that that's a huge
0: part of that number, but that might help push it up a tiny bit. So in the world, there's thousands of spoken languages even though some of them are disappearing really quickly. Mm-hmm. But I guess Japanese ranks ninth in the world because there's so many places where they're not unified, where every tribe speaks a different language, or every past every mountain range, they speak a different language. Yeah, or there are even countries that have
1: multiple official languages.
0: Yeah, true. A lot of countries where you know there's four or five different official languages. Mm-hmm. So Japan, maybe partly being an island, it was just easier, where everyone just speaks the same language, even though there are many dialects. True. Yep. Uh,
1: so Japan is also one of the fastest spoken languages. They did a study to find how many syllables per second people spoke in different languages. Ooh,
0: how fast is Japanese?
1: 7.84 syllables per second. That sounds fast. I have no context, but that sounds fast. well, so yeah. let me give you a little context. English is is 6.19 syllables per second.
0: Oh, we're going really slowly. <laughs>
1: I guess so. Yeah, I mean, Japanese sounds pretty fast when you hear it. Yeah. I, actually, this is kind of funny. Do you know Marie Kondo? Have you heard of her? Is
0: she the uh, meme? She's a meme? <laughs> she, she had a show this, and this a book. Draws pleasure or, or something like that. That
1: sounds like her. So she got really famous in Japan for her organizational skills, like teaching yeah. people how to declutter their okay, homes, yeah, that yeah. kind of thing. And I saw this video on YouTube where a Japanese guy, like a native Japanese speaker, pulled up a clip of her on some talk show or something, and she's just speaking ridiculously fast. I mean, different parts of Japan, people will speak, you know, like you said, different dialects, people will speak at different speeds. But she speaks insanely fast. And this guy was like trying to speak at the same speed as her. And even as a native Japanese speaker, he couldn't keep up. (laughs) Like, he's just like, I can't talk that fast. Yeah, there's some fast talkers out there. Yeah. Um, So even though Japanese is one of the fastest spoken languages by syllable, it has the lowest density of information per second of any language. Why is that? Well, I think there are a lot of uh, factors that go into explaining why that is. So part of it is that Japanese is a very indirect language. You can't be as blunt and straightforward as people generally are, let's say, in English. There are a lot of words that are kind of there just for politeness or for indicating social status relationships and things like that.
0: Yeah. Speaking of that, I did see that formality in Japanese. Mm -hmm. That's a better word, (laughs) formality. That's what I was trying to say. There's a lot of speaking formally Mm -hmm. and they seem to add a lot, like you add on to a word to make it more formal. So you're talking more, but not saying more.
1: Right. Yeah, that's definitely true. A lot more syllables in like really formal speech where you could chop that down to like a quarter of the length if you're just talking to a friend casually.
0: Yeah, that's interesting because I also saw I saw someone that was studying Japanese and one of their complaints was that it's hard to keep up because there's so much context inferred in casual conversations mm. if a city's already been mentioned or something. You don't have to say oh, "I'm going to that city." You just say "I'm going," mm-hmm. and like everyone knows what you're talking about. But when you're learning the language, it's like hard to keep up. Yeah, with yeah. Everything that's happened like that.
1: Yeah, and we'll talk more about the grammar and how that's different. Like there are a lot of reasons that make Japanese a pretty difficult language to learn for people coming from the West. So another part of what contributes to the uh, low rate of information getting across is that there are less available syllables in Japanese. So in English, there are a lot of different sounds. Vowels can take on different forms. So words, there are, there are a lot of different ways that words can differentiate themselves and make meaning really clear. But in Japanese, there's a very limited set, relatively limited set of sounds that can be used. So you need to string more of those together to get to
0: a distinct word. Yeah, I saw that there's only around 100 single-syllable sounds in Japanese. Mm -hmm. And apparently in English, there's 10,000. Wow. So that's just... That's a very big difference. Yeah, I didn't completely understand why. They mentioned something about like the L sound and some others not being available. Mm -hmm. And I guess that just uh, comes out that way. Yeah. Maybe that makes English hard for some people to learn. Definitely, man. (laughs) How do I make all these sounds?
1: (laughs) English is a really hard language to learn from what I've heard because when you're reading a word, it could be pronounced all sorts of different ways. Yeah. There's so many different sounds that are represented by the same combination of letters.
0: Spelling in English still drives me crazy. Yeah. And I've been doing this, I've been reading and writing (laughs) English for a long time. (laughs) Yeah. So I got
1: one last fun fact here. And I, I sort of alluded to this at the beginning when I talked about Nihongo. Nihon is Japan in Japan. So I just wanted to point out that the word Japan is not Japanese. Japanese people don't talk about Japan. They right. talk about Nihon or Nippon.
0: And I think a lot of countries are like that too. The name we give them in English is not often what they call themselves. Yeah, that's true. What, what do you Good. got
1: next? So next, I want to talk about what the spoken language is like. And we kind of already got into this with those fun facts, but let's get even deeper, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. So Japanese is very different from English and those other languages that are related to English, like the Romance languages, Spanish, French, basically any Western language, the grammar is very different from Japanese. Yeah. So, one of the biggest grammatical differences is that verbs are generally at the end of sentences
0: in Japanese. If I say this in English, Jason throws the ball. In Japanese, that would be Jason, the ball throws, or something like that. Right. Verb so that, comes last
1: right. in Japanese. And that can make things really confusing for somebody that comes from a language where that's the opposite of how sentences are structured. Yeah, you just have to change kind of how you think a little bit. Mm -hmm. But there are some things that actually make a lot more sense in Japanese. Like, Japanese is set up in a very logical way, I think. One example of that is that verbs aren't conjugated for different people or numbers of people. So, in English, you'd say... I throw, he throws. Verbs change depending on who is doing that verb. Yeah. In Japanese, that's not true. There are conjugations for tense, like present and past and future and all that kind of stuff. But it doesn't change for people. So that makes that piece of it pretty easy, actually.
0: Yeah, that's nice.
1: Yeah. Um, Also with nouns, a lot of languages have gendered nouns. Like I, I studied French for a long time. And that was, it's just, it doesn't make sense. Why? Why is this object male and this object is female? And there's yeah. no way to like figure it out. You have to just memorize it. I
0: definitely struggled with that with Spanish. Yeah, for sure. I was always getting corrected by my friends. Yeah,
1: but I mean, for having the wrong gender on stuff. It's like, it's an object. Why? Why do we gotta make this thing a boy or a girl? Oh, that rock is really feminine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the the nouns are pretty easy. You don't need to worry about that kind of thing, but vocabulary can vary for men and women. So that introduces a little complexity.
0: Yeah. It was that like, it's not, is it part of formal speech or is it just men happen to use these words more often and women happen to use these words more often? I think it's a little bit related to the formality
1: piece. Yeah. So like men can use more blunt direct language and okay. women more want to speak soft and kind of subdued.
0: That's interesting.
1: Yeah. And I mean, gender relations, this probably isn't the episode to go into that really deeply, but in Japan, you know, women have been kind of a uh, subservient. Is that the right word? It's been a very male dominated culture.
0: Patriarchy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of been everywhere.
1: Yeah. But in Japan, I mean, it's, that element has continued even to today in a lot of ways. Yeah. And they're making progress, but yeah. So, besides just men and women, uh, your politeness or your level of formality will change depending on your social status, your job, your age, your experience. Also,
0: I thought interesting it's depending on like the situation of the conversation. Like, if you're asking for a favor, Mm. you flip into very polite mode. Yeah. Or maybe if you're trying to convince someone to do something, you might switch to polite. I'm not sure. Yeah.
1: Definitely a thing that makes it more difficult to learn. I mean, even though English has some sort of stuff like that, like, you don't talk to your boss the same way you talk to a friend.
0: Yeah, we definitely have that in English, but it's not quite as pronounced, maybe.
1: Right, yeah. I mean, verbs can be conjugated differently for different levels of formality, kind of always have to be aware of your social status in relation to who you're talking to. Even if somebody is a year older than you, you might speak to them differently than somebody that's a year younger than you. Yeah, But politeness is also for a lack of familiarity. Like if you get a close relationship going with somebody, even if, you know, originally you were really formal with them because maybe they're a little older than you or something, As you get closer and that relationship develops, the language that you use with them could change.
0: Yeah. And I think that's kind of similar to English. Yeah, you become friends with somebody. You don't talk with them necessarily the same as when you first meet. Right. Speaking of your seniors, they've got lots of honorifics in Japanese. Yeah. That they add on to someone's name. Yeah. Here you have we have professor, doctor, mister, misses, we might use when trying to be polite. But in Japanese there's almost always some sort of suffix you're adding on mm-hmm. to someone's name. Yeah. Did you want to list them? I mean there's a few I know. Uh, san. Yeah, san is just kind
1: of a mister or misses. I mean it's just a polite way to refer to anybody. You say their last name and then san. Yep. Or rather the family name and then son, because in Japanese, when you're saying somebody's name, the family name comes first,
0: actually, and then the individual's given name comes second. Yeah, it's much more accurate to talk in terms of family name and given name versus first name and last name, yeah. because those switch around depending on which culture you're talking about. Yeah, and this is a big cultural
1: difference, too. In Japan, you will almost never say someone's given name until you get to know them really well. I'd be calling you Bresson San for a long time
0: if we were colleagues or whatever. We became fast friends, though, so it wouldn't have lasted long for us. Exactly. But I know what you mean. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So what other honorifics do
1: we got? There's Chan. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Are you saying it and then I define it? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Okay. So Chan is kind of a cutesy thing you can call either a boy or a girl. And that... Boys when they're younger. Yeah. Yeah, it would indicate that somebody's... Young usually or below your status or age, or you could even if you use that to an adult. If I called you Paul Chan, that could be offensive. Yeah, if we weren't like you wouldn't close. really say
0: that to an adult, yeah.
1: but since we're so close, if I called you Paul Chan, it would be kind of a joke kind of I'd, thing. I'd get it. Yeah,
0: <laughs> and then there's coon. Yeah, so coon is for males, pretty much, it's for boys, maybe male friends between each other. Yeah. There's also sama. Yeah,
1: sama's very respectful. I mean, you might have even heard kami sama, which is like God. I mean, yeah. kami, kami even is a god. god but kami gets sama. A,
0: even God gets a suffix yeah. added. Yeah.
1: Or like royalty or
0: something might yeah. be called sama. Going back to like the feudal days, you would call your lord sama, yeah. you know, yeah. the emperor or anybody like that. Yeah.
1: You actually also see that in the service industry a little bit. Okyaku sama is a, a customer. They, they get oh, okay. Sama at the end. So so polite. Yeah.
0: There's Sensei.
1: Yeah. So there are some types of honorifics that can stand alone as titles as well. Sensei
0: would be one of those. That yeah. you so could say Jason Sensei. Or yeah, I could just say Sensei and be referring to Jason. Right, right. Um, there's Senpai. Yep,
1: Senpai. So this goes back to that relationship between older and younger people or people with more or less experience. So your Senpai is your senior. I mean, as a senpai, they kind of are playing a role as your mentor a little bit. Like, they're guiding you and teaching you. And if they are your senpai, you are their kohai.
0: Yeah. And you're supposed to, if you are the kohai, you are supposed to treat your senpai with respect and politeness. Mm -hmm. But they are supposed to give back to you, like you said, with the mentorship, with helping you out. Mm -hmm. It's a relationship that's supposed to go both ways. Yep. And that can go with an older and a younger student, or it can go at work with a senior employee and a new employee, mm-hmm. anything like that.
1: Yep. I also found, I'd never heard this honorific before, but have you heard Bo? Bo? Yeah. I don't think so. Bo is a cutesy honorific for little boys. Okay. Okay. So maybe I'll start calling you Paul Bo. Too much. <laughs> Paul Chan?
0: Uh, let's go with kun.
1: Well, we'll, We'll talk about it. We'll talk later. So another thing that sets Japanese apart from a lot of Asian languages is that it is not a tonal language like a lot of other languages in the area like Mandarin, Cantonese, Vietnamese, and Thai. Those are all tonal languages, so like the relative pitch that you say a word at affects its meaning. Japanese is not like that.
0: And when we get into the history, we'll talk about Yeah, there's a reason for that. that makes sense, yeah. Yeah. So one other thing I thought was interesting about Japanese is the counting words.
1: Oh man, these are so confusing.
0: Yeah, this is another thing that people that were trying to learn Japanese struggle with. And it's there's different sets of counting words depending on what you're counting. Yeah. So if you're counting the number of drinks you want ordered to your table, you got to use different words than if you're counting the number of stories in a building or something different. It gets worse, Paul. It gets so much <laughs> worse. Because even if you're ordering a drink,
1: the counter that you use will change depending on whether that drink is in a bottle or if it's poured into a glass. Oh, come on. I'm not
0: kidding. Oh, that's
1: crazy. Yeah. it's. I mean, it's all one due of respect.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: It's very confusing. I can and see there, how that would be frustrating. Yes, it is. And there, there are counters... Not even for like the thing that you're counting, but for the shape of a thing.
0: All right. Like, so moral of the story, if you're in Japan, just hold up fingers. <laughs> yeah. I need this many, I need this many drinks over here, guys. Yeah. Honestly, that is probably a good strategy <laughs> if you haven't figured out all the,
1: ca- I mean, you, you could just say a number without the counter and they would get the message. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, the counters, if you really want to sound fluent, you got to know those counters and there are a lot of them. And they're tough. Um, another thing that makes Japanese tough is that there are tons of homophones. What are, what are homophones? I don't know. Words that sound the same. Okay. So there are tons of different words that mean different things, but you say them in the same way. And this goes back to what you're saying about context really is important to pay attention to in Japanese. Like you're not going to figure out what word somebody is saying unless you're paying attention to the context around that word.
0: That Interesting. Yeah. So that makes context all the more important. Yeah. You really got to be paying attention. If you zone out for a minute, you come back like, I don't know what anybody's talking about. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally.
1: <laughs> so what, we've talked about how the language is structured a little bit, but what does it actually
0: sound like? Well, there's five vowels in Japanese. A, E, U, A, and O. Yeah. And, and they
1: it, always sound like that. They're, the, yeah. the sound of a vowel will never change in Japanese, which is one of those things that makes it really nice and logical and easy in, why, in that sense. Probably why there's
0: only so many syllable combinations. Yes, yeah, exactly. Also, they can be short or long vowels. So they can be held sometimes, but it's always the same sound. Yeah. And consonants are pretty similar to in English. Like mm-hmm. there's not new sounds that you won't know how to make.
1: Yeah, well, there are actually less consonants in Japanese than in English. Like you said, there are no L and R. Those are almost combined into a consonant that's sort of in between. And that, well, that actually is kind of a sound that we don't quite have in English.
0: Yeah, I suppose you're right. I always like try to pronounce those as R's, but it's not quite. Yeah, it's got that little bit of like L in it. Yeah, the tongue just
1: like bounces off the top of your <laughs> mouth real quick. Um, but yeah, there, there are limited numbers of consonants too. So yeah, not a lot of consonants, you got not a lot of vowels. So the whole language is built on sticking those two things together. And you come up with a limited number of sounds like we mentioned before. I mean, they're generally pretty easy to pronounce.
0: So that's another piece that's kind of easy about yeah. Japanese. The hardest part I think is like we said, it's a fast language. Mm-hmm. If you're thinking in your second language it's hard to speak as fast as the native speakers because it is going really fast. Yeah, definitely. So you'll definitely sound slow to uh, native speakers, but they might understand the sounds that you're making. Yeah. Uh, I got another fun fact about the syllables. Okay. Okay. So
1: this is about haiku. You're familiar with haiku? Yeah. The Japanese form of poetry? Yeah. So you may have heard that haikus are made of three lines— You got five syllables on the first line, seven syllables on the next line, five syllables on the last line, right? Mm -hmm. Wrong. What? (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of a misconception. Because, so in English, words are divided into clear syllables. Haiku. Haiku. Two syllables, right? Yep. In Japanese, they don't quite think of syllables as much as they do of those sounds that we're talking about. So, Haiku would be divided into 3 sounds, ha, i, and ku. And those are the things that are counted in haikus. So I see. Does that does that make sense? Yeah. Let me just give one more example just to drive it home. So Tokyo in English, how many how many syllables would you say Tokyo is? Two. Okay. Have you ever seen Tokyo written with little lines over the o's? Yeah. Yeah, so those lines that's an indication that that vowel is stretched out. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. So if you're looking at the word Tokyo in Japanese sounds, you got to, o, kyo, o. So it's actually four. So if your first line of your haiku starts with Tokyo, you only got one more syllable left or one more sound. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah, that is cool.
0: So, uh, I think it's time to talk a little bit about the history of the Japanese language. I love the history stuff. Yeah, so Japanese is part of the Japanese Ryukyuan
1: language family. Yeah, and that family pretty much stands on its own. Japanese is not clearly related to any other language, really.
0: Yeah, it's not spoken natively anywhere outside of Japan. And well, Japan right now does include the Ryukyu Islands. Yeah, they're part of Japan now. So They stretch southwest from Kyushu to Taiwan. Yeah,
1: so if you've heard of Okinawa, that's down there, part of the Ryukyu Islands. Yep. So
0: like, English is re- related to a bunch of different languages. The Romance languages came from Latin, which is like Italian, French, Spanish. English came from German, which is the Germanic language family but it's heavily influenced by Latin and written in Latin script.
1: Yeah, so all these Western languages have kind of m- influenced each other in different ways throughout history. Is yeah. that
0: fair to say? we've got a ton of influence of French and German into English, for sure. Yeah. And Scandinavian, yeah, Norwegian, Old Norse, all those invasions into England. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. So Japanese is pretty unusual in that... There's no other spoken languages that are related to it. Yeah, even Other. Chinese, which is, I mean, China's
0: right next to Japan. Yeah, not, not related. Yeah. So if we go way back, <laughs> the farthest I could find is that it's super hard to know on this old stuff when there's not written language mm-hmm. that we found. But our best guess is that Japanese was brought over from Southeastern Korea about 300 BCE from the Yayoi culture, which was the wet rice farmers that came over to Japan and started cultivating rice. And it's definitely not proven. And a lot of linguists in Korea don't like this idea, but <laughs> that makes sense. The rest me. of the world kind of likes the idea. You know, okay. they're they're doing, I think, a little bit of uh, gymnastics maybe to match Distance their beliefs themselves. to the science. But there is a little bit of evidence I heard from place names in Central and South Korea. Interesting. That tie it possibly to the Japanese language. Okay. Or the proto Japanese language. Yeah. Because there was a kingdom in Southern Korea that presumably spoke some proto Japanese language, but it got taken over by a Northern Korean kingdom. That spoke the old Korean dialect. Oh, interesting! So that would kind of cut it off from like the rest of right. what evolved into modern Korean. That's why it's only Korean spoken in Korea now. Yeah, and Japanese is only spoken in Japan.
1: Interesting. Even
0: though it may probably maybe had its origins in Korea. Nice, cool. Well, that's a lot more detail than I had. <laughs> I read a long paper about this a couple of years ago because I'm just oh. like interested in stuff like that
1: for whatever reason. (laughs) Yeah,
0: all I had was that, so he said that
1: Japanese evolved or at least has common roots with the Ryukyuan languages. Yeah, all I had was that those Ryukyuan languages were derived from travelers that came from the surrounding
0: area, which I suppose would be Korea. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the Ryukyuan languages split off at least by the 8th century, if not earlier. So -hmm. they have been split from Japanese for, for quite a while.
1: Okay. Well, so I had, around 1,500 years ago in the 6th century, the Yamato people set up their first dynasty in Japan, Mm -hmm. and that's the language that modern Japanese kind of evolved from. So the Yamato were kind of the, you could almost consider them like the first Japanese people, right? Kind of the first civilization in Japan.
0: The first one that leads to what there is today. Yeah, I mean, the Ainu people had lived there for a long time, but they'd lived more the hunter-gatherer lifestyle and hadn't set up big kingdoms as far as we know. Right, right, right. Yeah,
1: Japanese evolved from the Yamatul language, and I was surprised to learn that before the 5th
0: century, there was no written language in Japan at all. Yeah, I mean, in world history context, that's not too surprising. Language goes back a long ways in a few places in the world. But not not everywhere, there's a lot of places where the written language is much newer. Cool. I did see that uh, the oldest recorded Japanese words came in a third century Chinese text.
1: yeah, so the first written language came to Japan from China, yes, right in the fifth, sixth century, around the same time, a lot of stuff was coming to Japan from China, yeah. So these Chinese characters which in Japanese are known as kanji. Yeah. They're basically pictographs. Like you could almost think of them like Egyptian hieroglyphics. Yeah. I mean they're pictures like in their original form they were little drawings of things. And over time they would evolve into
0: I don't know, they kind became of more abstract. stylized and abstract. Yeah. yeah. I remember seeing like how they wrote tiger 2000 years ago. It was kind of like a picture of a cat yeah they slowly showed how it morphed over the centuries to become just this stylized character. But if you look at it the right way, you can still kind of see like <laughs> where the cat is in it. yeah, it's pretty cool.
1: And what I like about these kanji that I don't know it's just interesting because it's so different from the way English is set up is that each kanji it doesn't tell you how to say that word. it just it gets it across an idea. yeah, an idea is encapsulated in this character.
0: Yeah, you have to know how to say the word. Yeah. It's not a phonetic thing. You can't spell it out.
1: Yeah, and these kanji, I mean, it's unrecognizable what this was originally a picture yeah. of, but a lot of times they're set up in really logical ways. Like if you look at the kanji for numbers, right? The kanji for one is a, a single horizontal line. The kanji for two is two horizontal
0: lines. The kanji for three Yes. <laughs> Three horizontal lines? Exactly. But let me guess, four is not four horizontal no, lines. No, I guess a little more. It complicated. always stops at four for some <laughs> reason. <laughs> yeah.
1: But there are other ways that these work together in really interesting ways too. Like so for example, the kanji for ski, which is affection or like. Like if I like something, I would use that word. That kanji is a combination of the kanji for woman and child. You know, a lot of times you'll find little mnemonic devices to help you figure out what these mean because like woman and child, they have a bond between them and affection, you know, that kind of explains that kanji. Yeah, interesting. And you'll find a lot of just weird little coincidence, well, not coincidences, I guess, but very logical ways that the language fits together in
0: certain ways if you start to study Yeah, kanji. it's just totally different than the Western languages where it's written based on sound Yeah. rather than written based on ideas or pictures or... Sure.
1: Yeah. Okay, so so kanji came from China. And at first, these texts were ri- written and read in Chinese, even when they came to Japan. And only really high-class people were really reading these. Only They were the only ones that had access to this and were interested in becoming literate in Chinese, I guess. Right.
0: Only the select few would be literate back then.
1: Yeah. But eventually, the Japanese started using those kanji and kind of adapting them to align... With the spoken Japanese language. So around six hundred fifty CE, something called manyogana evolved, and that started to use those Chinese characters to indicate sounds instead of the meaning, like we talked about, how each kanji has, you know, uh, an idea attached to it. Yeah. That's and cool. We'll, that that will bring us to the next. Japanese has four writing systems, actually. But kanji was the first one. And yeah. You had some something else to say about kanji, right?
0: Yeah. There's about two to three thousand kanji that are currently used in Japan, but in dictionaries, there's about 50,000. Yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous, yeah, which is wild. But uh, two to three thousand, I guess, is manageable, yeah, to know most of them,
1: yeah. And I mean, most Japanese people will never have heard of a bunch of those extra thousands that aren't commonly used yeah. in Japanese,
0: yeah. But at some point, they were maybe.
1: Yeah, a lot of them are probably more historical artifacts. I mean, even in English, there are a lot of old English words that you don't really see very often anymore. Yeah, definitely. So can we get into the kana? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So like I said, kanji started to evolve and morph into these other types of symbols that were used To indicate sounds for the spoken Japanese language, two forms
0: of characters came from this. Yeah,
1: and they kind of, it seems like they kind of evolved around the same time. And we got hiragana and katakana. They're both known as kana. Kana are these writing systems that are about the Japanese sounds, like looking at a single kana. All it represents is a sound.
0: Yeah, you can sound out the words if you know how to read the text.
1: Yeah. So, man'yōgana, like I said, that was uh, kind of the in-between period between kanji and modern kana. And that, written in a cursive style, evolved to hiragana. Hiragana,
0: what would you say hiragana looks like? It's generally like three to five quick, Calligraphy lines. <laughs> yeah. Well, just
1: like looking at it and trying to generalize about it, I'd say the most noticeable thing about it is that it's very rounded. There aren't a lot of really straight lines, there are a lot of curves, right? And this was uh, known as kind of a woman's way of writing. It's very flowy, it known as onade. Ona
0: is woman or female. Yeah. So, I heard it was first widely used among women.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was more accessible to them because women were denied higher education back then, so they wouldn't have been taught the kanji, and we're going to see the other one, katakana, evolved in a different way.
0: Yeah, so it'd be easier to learn to write hiragana than to learn all the kanji if you weren't being formally taught.
1: Right, so at the time that women were using hiragana, men were still using kanji, but eventually they also started using hiragana for unofficial writing or personal communication.
0: Yeah, women used it to write novels. Like The Tale of Genji, a famous Japanese novel, was written almost exclusively in hiragana. Right. Because it was written by a woman Yeah, in the uh, ancient imperial court in the 11th century, I think it was written. And uh, eventually men started writing novels and letters and stuff in hiragana too. Yeah.
1: So around the same time, the other type of kana called katakana that also evolved from manyogana, and that was used originally by Buddhist monks to indicate correct pronunciation of Chinese texts. And katakana is known as a more manly script, and you can kind of tell even by looking at it, it has a different sort of style than hiragana. There are a lot more straight lines, sharp angles, not as rounded and flowy.
0: Yeah, that's true, now that I
1: think about it. So the katakana first appeared in the 10th century, but by the 14th century, it had evolved to the point where each symbol corresponded to a spoken syllable of the Japanese language. So you could write anything that you wanted to say in Japanese using katakana. By the 20th century, katakana was designated the writing system for... What's it used for these days?
0: It's generally used to write foreign words. Or if, words borrowed from foreign languages. Yeah, and there are a lot of those in Japanese. Early on, Chinese greatly influenced Japanese, like we were talking about, especially through the way it was written in Chinese characters. A ton of vocabulary came from Chinese. In late Middle Japanese, which was like 1185 through 1600, the first appearance of European loanwords showed up, mostly from the Portuguese such as coffee. I think it's like kohi yeah. in Japanese. That came from Portuguese and quite a few others. And then uh, post-isolation period in 1853, you started to see English words become loan words in Japanese. And today that's become very frequent. Yeah, you'll see that everywhere. There's uh, probably more English loan words than any other language except Chinese yeah. in Japanese today. Uh, You'll see a lot of katakana all over the place in Japan, and
1: if you just sound it out based on what each kana sounds like, you can figure out the English word a lot of the time that that word came from. Yeah, sometimes you can
0: definitely figure it out.
1: Yeah. So besides foreign loan words and foreign names, it would also be used for onomatopoeia. So these are words used to describe sounds. And I mean, they, they sound like the sound that they're Describing So
0: in English, we have words like boom or splat. Yeah. If you're reading manga, Japanese comic books, mm-hmm. katakana will be used as like the sound effects in the background.
1: Yeah, you'll see them all over the place in manga. And there are so many of them, like way more than in English. They'll have words for anything you can possibly think of.
0: Yeah, lots of sound words. Yeah,
1: Katakana can also be used for emphasis, kind of like making bold text in English, let's Hmm, say. Interesting. So another writing system that you'll see is something called Romaji.
0: What's Romaji? Romaji is Japanese written out in Latin characters.
1: Yeah. I mean, in, in a lot of cases, it looks exactly the same as words that we use in English that are from Japanese. Like if you see the word geisha written out, That would look exactly the same in Romaji. Romaji is basically just taking those sounds from Japanese and writing them with the English alphabet.
0: Yeah, like this specific character in Hiragana is going to be G-A in Romaji, and it's just always going to be translated that way, and then you're going to be able to read it. Yeah,
1: and you know, I always thought, I mean, I never really looked into it until now, but I just assumed that Romaji was created by... Uh, somebody outside of Japan to figure out the language, you know? Yeah, it wasn't. No, it was actually developed by a Japanese Catholic person in the 1500s because he wanted to help European missionaries figure out Japanese without having to learn their writing system. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And then you might've heard of Hepburn Romanization. No. No. So that's kind of a system for turning Japanese sounds into Romaji And that was developed in the 1800s by a guy named James Curtis Hepburn. Okay. Yeah. And that's kind of the most common way of translating Japanese into the English alphabet these days is Hepburn Romanization.
0: You know, on a side note, when I read about Chinese history, I get frustrated because there's competing styles about how to translate that into English. Hmm. So you're reading the same word in different books and it's spelled totally differently. And I get confused sometimes. Huh, interesting. And it's a little frustrating. Yeah. Is this going to be spelled S-H-I or is it going to be spelled X-I or whatever, yeah. you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, when when languages are so completely different, the way they're set up, yeah. it's like hard to come to a consensus. Because none of them are perfect. So everyone's got their own idea
0: of how, how it should be.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like how do you standardize how to turn this language into this written language? Yeah. It gets pretty complicated sometimes. Yeah, yeah for sure. So let's talk about Japanese today. Okay. So these days, kanji hiragana and katakana, three distinct writing systems. All of those kind of work together these days in written Japanese. You'll see them just mixed together.
0: Yeah, it's not like one document's written in kanji and one's written in katakana. It's all it's all mixed together. Yeah,
1: and this is probably, if you're learning Japanese, this might be the hardest part is figuring out the written language because the kanji, like we said, there are tons of them and you just kind of have to memorize them. Yeah, yeah. And those are going to form the base of a lot of words, like verbs will have a base written in kanji, but then hiragana will be used to conjugate that. Yeah,
0: hiragana is used as modifiers a lot of the time.
1: Yes, yes. And particles, too, in between verbs and nouns. Yeah. So nouns are also going to be kanji a lot of the time, or if it's a loan word, you use katakana, or if it's a native Japanese word, they'll use the hiragana, so it gets tricky Yeah, <laughs> reading <laughs> Japanese. Another thing that makes it especially frustrating is that kanji are not always pronounced the same way. So, oh, this is, this is, this is the craziest part of Japanese. So we talked about homophones. You got words that sound the same, mm-hmm. but could be written differently with different kanji, but then you also have each kanji can have multiple ways of pronouncing it. Oh, wow. Yeah. And again, this is dependent on context. That's pretty much the way you're going (laughs) to figure it out. It's all
0: about the context.
1: Yeah. So hiragana, like we said, can be used for conjugating, can be used for particles, can also be used as something called furigana, these little tiny hiragana characters above kanji to show how they're pronounced. So that can help out when you got a kanji and you're like, I don't know how to say this. Yeah, yeah. Sounds useful. Yeah. You'll see that in like kids' books and stuff to help kids learn their kanji. Okay. Yeah. What blows my mind is that even though this writing system is so complex in a lot of different ways, do you know what Japan's literacy rate is? I'm going to go with 99%. That is correct. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: They have a good education system, at least. I mean, they're getting compulsory education through middle school. Yeah. And they. Do do a good job with it. Yeah. If anything, they go too hard, but we won't. Yeah, get, we won't get into that. Yeah, all there's the way. some
1: controversy there, I guess. <laughs> so, can we talk about what what if you want to learn Japanese?
0: Yeah, knowing what you know now, Jason, how would you go about beginning to learn Japanese?
1: Well, I think among the very first things I would want to learn is those kana, hiragana and katakana, those two writing systems. It's a good place to start. Yeah, that are for the sounds because then you're going to be able to write or read any of those and like just sound out words. That can be really useful. And those are super quick and easy to learn, at least relative to a lot of other (laughs) parts of the Japanese language. Yeah, let's say, okay, let's say you're not even interested in becoming like fluent in Japanese, but you just want enough that it would be fun to use it in Japan. Learn katakana. There are tons of apps. If you just search on your app store, you will find tons of apps that are just like flashcards and mnemonic devices for katakana and hiragana. And like we said, katakana is for those English loan words. So if you go to Japan and you know your katakana, you can just start reading signs. And that's super, it's just really rewarding to be able to walk around and be like, oh, here's some Japanese. Let me see if I can read that. Yeah, that is fun. And you piece together this word, you sound it out, and I need an example here. So let's say you're walking around Japan and you see this building and it says it has some katakana on there and you sound it out and it says ho
0: teru. hotel. hotel You just gotta say it fast. What what is that? Well, since they don't have the L sound and it's often represented by <laughs> R's, yeah. I think hotel yeah. that might be a place to stay. Yeah.
1: So that's just one example, but you'll find all sorts of words where if you just sound it out and kind of say it fast and try to think like you're pronouncing something with a Japanese accent, you can figure out the English word that it's based on. If you're just
0: walking down a shopping street or a touristy area, there'll be so many signs everywhere with katakana on them. You'll be able to figure some of it out and and it's fun.
1: Yeah. It's just really rewarding and kind of exciting. And if you're with people, you can really impress them. You're like, yeah. I can read that sign over there.
0: Like, wow! <laughs> yeah.
1: So anyway, if you really want to dig in, learn Japanese, become fluent, there are tons of resources online. A couple of popular books, if you want to get a physical book, there there are books called Genki 1 and 2. And those are kind of uh, introductions to the grammar and still a lot of the, the foundation of Japanese. But You'll you'll find all sorts of podcasts, websites, all sorts of stuff. You just do some googling, and really, I mean, you could learn Japanese without paying for anything. <laughs> you could do it for free, yeah, just based on all that stuff.
0: And if you get a little bit of handle on the writing system and the grammar, I always find a great way for vocabulary is music. Mm. Find some Japanese music you like and learn the translation of the lyrics. And you can pick up a lot of, just a lot of vocabulary.
1: Definitely. That is great advice. These days online, you can even find places where you can speak with a Japanese person. Whether it's like video chatting with them or I even found some like, uh, you know, Omegle or Chat Roulette, right? They're websites where you could just get connected with a random person. They're infamous. Yeah. (laughs) There, There are things that those are known for that are not great. But... I found similar sort of things in Japanese where you just get connected to a random Japanese person. Oh, wow. And I had some fun like trying to type to them in Japanese. <laughs> and a lot of times they'll be able to meet you halfway if they know a bit of English.
0: But maybe there's... i of websites too where they'll like hook you up with someone who wants to practice their English and you want to practice your Japanese and you can find like a buddy to yeah, have conversations with.
1: Totally. Almost like having a pen pal except now with the internet, like you don't need to mail a letter yeah. to them. You could just chat whenever you're both available like a yeah. video chat or something. Yep. That can be super useful. If you want to learn Japanese the fastest possible way, pretty much need to go to Japan. Immersion is always the
0: best. Yeah.
1: And there are I would I would love to do this. There are like these intensive courses in Japan where you can go from knowing absolutely nothing to being like pretty fluent in a couple years. That's awesome. Yeah. So if you have the time. If you're at that stage in your life where you can just drop everything and go to Japan for two years and learn the language. You can. Yeah. That's <laughs> something
0: you could do if you want. Well that's about all I got today. You got anything else about uh Nihongo?
1: I think that's it for me. Man, I hope that was a decent episode. I feel like it was it was tough to kind of lay that all out. I mean it's hard to talk about a language without actually
0: speaking yeah. The I mean, I'm like not even close to fluent in Japanese and we're sitting here talking about it. Yeah. Languages are super complicated too. You can get really deep. I'm just like not that into languages to know what I'm talking about when you get that deep into grammar and all that stuff. But I hope this was at least a decent
1: overview. Maybe learn something about how Japanese is set up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, what are we talking about next week, Paul? Next week is going to be our Halloween special. Yeah. We're going to be talking about yokai and yurei. Yeah. What are those, Jason?
1: Well, we're going to get into it. It's it's a little complicated. There's not like a direct translation, but yokai are more or less types of Japanese monsters and yurei are Japanese ghosts.
0: Monsters and ghosts. That's uh. what I was looking for. All right. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be fun. Yeah, I've... I've been looking forward to this one for a while now. Things are going to get spooky in here. They are. Just you wait. (laughs) All right. Well, look forward
1: to that. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.